You are listening to First Church Charlotte. and he will find no justice. He is led silently, as you know, to his capital punishment. And he dies the just for the unjust that we might have what we refer to today as redemption, as hope, as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life? But before this happens, as they are journeying to Jerusalem, two of his disciples, two quite bold young men by the name of John and James, both sons of Zebedee, they have a request that they ask of him. And like many people, they are looking to have a place of high status. They would like to have a place of, you know, notoriety, a place where everybody knows who they are, a place of supreme importance. Now, they do not know exactly what this kingdom of heaven is going to be like. They don't know exactly what to expect. And whatever it is, they want to be a part of it. They believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in his power. They believe in his words. So what Whatever it is, Lord, we want to have a place of high status in that, in that kingdom, and they ask for this. We want to be second and third in command, or if you would like, we want you to be the president and us be vice presidents of this new thing called the kingdom of heaven. Jesus listens to them. Interestingly, he does not agree to do for them their request. He does not say, uh, it's mine to give to you. Very interestingly, he says in a moment, we stopped reading at verse number 39, where they, he, they said, we're able to drink the cup that you drink and be baptized with the baptism that you're baptized with. And Jesus says, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and the baptism that I am baptized with. You will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when, when the ten heard it, the other ten disciples, they were greatly upset with uh, James and John. This is offensive to them. This is something that uh, they feel like they have been uh, jumped in line. You ever waited for a long time and then have somebody just jump right in front of you and all in one moment your good Christian spirit went right out the door? I'm supposed to be the preacher, but if you want to make me mad, catch me when I'm impatient and jump me in line. And I, I sometimes, when my wife is not there to be the parental supervision, I sometimes will pop off and say, um, excuse me, there's a line here and you're welcome to stand in it. But where you are is not the line. The line starts back there. You see, you wouldn't do that, being saved, sanctified. Only us un unrighteous heathen uh, get irritated when people jump us in line. Um, it is particularly bad when you're in traffic and someone wedges their way in front of you. All your victory just leaves. You were having joy, joy unspeakable, and someone forces their way in, and you go straight Mm, you know where you go. It's, let's just say it's not the kingdom of heaven. And so they feel betrayed. They did not know that we were all going to ambush Jesus on the path to his death and try to get first, what, 
dibs on the highest, best offices in the kingdom. But that's what they feel like James and John has done. And interestingly, Jesus, he receives their offer to drink the drink he's drinking to, to the cup of suffering and also to baptize to be baptized with this baptism he's going through but he does not promise them that they would have any particular order or status that is in the kingdom of heaven now uh, when we look at this there is a couple things that pop out at us and the first is two symbols that are being referred to uh, speaking of the ministry and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The first is the cup, drinking from the cup, and the second is baptism, uh, immersion in water, signifying uh, a demon. You both of these become images for what the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do for all of us. These images uh, have a certain certain weight and a certain importance. Uh, let me start first with the cup, because in the Bible you will see. The, the, the image, the symbol of the cup used repeatedly, uh, I think perhaps one of the most notable places is where the children of Israel celebrate the Passover and they're having been delivered from Egypt and they have four cups in their celebration of the Passover. The first cup is the cup of sanctification. This is a celebration in their remembrance of the promise of the Lord given to them in the book of, of Exodus chapter 9. Number six, um, where he says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's the first cup, the cup of sanctification. The second cup is that cup of deliverance of the righteous and judgment upon the evildoer. That is uh, the statement, I will deliver you from slavery to them, to the Egyptians. That's the cup of deliverance for the covenant people and judgment to the, uh, the, the oppressor of God's covenant people. Third is the cup of redemption. And this is celebrated in the feast of the Passover every year by observant Jews. And this is based upon the st third statement from uh, Exodus chapter number six, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. And finally, the fourth cup is that cup of worship or that cup of restoration. You might even call it a cup of praise where it is signifying a, a new fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. This cup, this cup and this celebration of the Passover where they have four cups of remembrance, each one of them signifying, uh, celebrating a different part of their deliverance. Each each one of these uses this cup uh, as part of the ceremony, as part of the remembrance. Now, biblically, you will see the cup referring to both blessing and to judgment. You will see the cup referring to God's uh, love, God's provision, God's keeping of his people, and that is where the cup of blessing overflows. And you will also see the cup referring to wrath or judgment, the cup of wrath being being full. And so the Lord looks at these disciples who are wanting 
to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. And he asked them, can you drink the cup that I drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Uh, in, in, in the work that Jesus is going to do in this moment in redemptive time, if you'll allow me to see it that way, this is really the apex where the old, the old original covenant is being fulfilled in a new covenant of hope and grace. It is uh, very natural for us, particularly us, us Christians, to see uh, Old Testament, New Testament as an old covenant and a new covenant. That's not wrong. Um, it's and indeed, the way the Bible refers to it with an Old Testament and a New Testament, those are, of course, titles that are used to organize the 66 books of the Scripture. Um, but it is a little bit incomplete to simply think in terms of Old Covenant and New Covenant. The New Covenant is the Old Covenant fulfilled. This isn't simply as though there was an old model and a new model, although you're not entirely wrong when you think of it that way. But if you want, I believe, to really be accurate to the intent of God's unfolding story of grace, you have to see the new covenant as the fulfillment of the old covenant. And this moment where Christ is going to be uh, an offering, a covering, a redemptive uh, cleansing for all of us this is the moment upon which the ages turn. This is truly, the, 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 in the time clock of grace, this is when everything changes. And you can see, reading any of the Gospels, you can, you can get this sense of momentum as Jesus marches relentlessly toward Jerusalem. One writer said he, he set his face as a flint. He approached Jerusalem with a sense of determination. It is, it is not something his flesh looks forward to. When we talk about the mystery of, 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 of God and the mystery of God in the flesh, uh, deity in humanity, uh, working out a sacrifice that is a reconciliation for us all, or as the Apostle Paul talks about, seeing Christ as a second Adam, whereas by one man, one man sin and rebellion entered the world through one man, the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and hope and redemption entered the world. It's almost as though this moment in the gospel is, is a rushing like a river where for a period it's wide and it's placid and it's slow and it's deep. But as it approaches a gorge in the mountains, it's as though the water begins to speed up. It's as though what once was moving kind of at a, a walking pace is now rushing and running uh, through uh, the, the, the crags of rock. It's this feeling of all of time is approaching this moment. And I think part of that is in the understanding of the disciples. Jesus has told them, as we have seen through the journey of Mark, three times the Lord has specifically set them down and said, Hey guys, pay attention. Look up here. Look at me. 
I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be crucified. The first time the disciples hear that, they're like, no, 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 that's not the will of God. You need us to tell you what the will of God is. Uh, that's the first one. The second time, there is just this silent listening, and maybe some emotional response, but just kind of a, just, just an acceptance. And then the third time, he tells them again. And it's right after that, that we have the story of the rich young ruler, and we have the story of James and John saying, hey, you know, if you're, if you're uh, exiting, um, maybe, maybe you could make us the vice president. And the other disciples are furious because Jesus has never given an org chart. Human organizations, we love org charts because it makes things simple. I think as, as much as is possible, the kingdom of heaven should be uh, hesitant with org charts. <laughs> uh, that is not the nature of the kingdom of heaven. In fact, what the Lord wants the kingdom of heaven to feel like is more kind of like a sense of servant leadership than a sense of hierarchy and lording over anyone. And that is what is the result, the emotional response that the disciples have to these two brothers who try to jump to the head of the line, the ten that they are quite furious with with uh, these two brothers. And there evidently is a bit of a, uh, how shall we say this, uh, tussle, uh, argument, a fuss. The Bible says the ten were greatly displeased. Now, remember how the Bible usually speaks modestly when it comes to emotion. And when it, it's exaggerative, it's to show you uh, the real import of it. They are, they're not just a little bit hacked off. They are greatly displeased. Now, uh, dads, the next time you're really upset with your children, you need to try breathing a few times and saying, I am greatly displeased. It won't work that much, but, you know, you should try it. Because in the context of this kind of writing, there is a lot to be seen here. This evidently is a uh, enough of a tension in the group that the Lord wants to fix it because the Lord calls them all to him. This is the sequence. The ten hear it. They are furious mad at James and John, Jesus evidently doesn't want to go into Jerusalem like this, so he calls a halt, and he calls them to himself, and he says to them, all, he's not talking to James and John, he's talking to the twelve, and he basically gives what I think, this is my favorite uh, passage to kind of get you a sense of what the culture of the work is supposed to feel like. It's as though Jesus is trying to establish what church culture and uh, missions culture and the work is supposed to feel like. And he says, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Okay, Jesus says, we all know how the world works. The org chart matters. 
The great, well, they act greatly. And the lowly, well, they act lowly. And this is the way the world works. But if you want to understand the kingdom of heaven, that is not how it's going to be. It's going to feel in uh, uh, church culture when you get church culture right. That's not how it's going to feel. It's not going to feel as though there are rulers over anyone. It's not going to feel like there's someone to lord over anyone. He says, Jesus' words, yet it shall not be so among you. That feel that you guys are used to, that feeling, that culture that you guys are used to, where people with authority kind of really enjoy that authority, and people with money kind of really enjoy that money, and people with power, they really kind of enjoy that power, and they they act kind of, you know, hootie-tootie, and they kind of strut around like this. That's not what it's going to feel like if you get church culture right. If you get the kingdom of heaven right, that's not what it's going to be like among you guys. This is what it rather should feel like. It should feel like this. Uh, Whoever desires to be great, the path to that greatness is to be a servant to others. And whoever of you desires to be first, you need to think about being the slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In my own sense of the Gospels, this scripture right here, chapter 10, verse 45 of the book of Mark is my, I would have to say it's one of my favorite scriptures. Definitely, it's always dangerous to have these games, but I love these scriptures. In fact, I have this scripture in that side entrance in the art we have over there. Even the Son of Man did not come to be to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is his attempt to fix this problem of jockeying for position and jockeying for uh, authority and jockeying for who's in charge of who, etc. He admits to them, look, you guys know how the world works. That's not how it's going to feel in this kingdom of of heaven. This, in my opinion, is as straightforward uh, uh, a goal. Uh, It's as though this is the aspiration, the aspirational effort, the path, uh, our guiding star of how uh, to organize uh, what we do and how it feels to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. I will not pretend that it's easy to get this. None of us particularly likes serving others. I'm not talking about your friends. Everybody likes to be nice to the people they like. The test of servanthood is how we treat the people who we don't really like that much. Everybody's nice to the folks they like. How do we treat others. This is so fundamental to a church. I think this attitude of preferring one another, serving one another, reconciling ourselves to one another is the single most important attribute to make other people feel as though they could have a future in a church like that. 
I think that is the single most important thing. When people come among us, a lot of times they, 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 they will not make their decision based on doctrine. I wish people would make decisions on doctrine. I am a believer in doctrine and I value doctrine and many of you understand what I mean by that. But let's, let's be honest, people do not choose churches on whether or not you have, they have checked every box, box of checking your, your uh, religious uh, heritage, shall we say. But if they feel like there's a place there for them, they will respond to the love that's there and they will respond to the attitude of preference that's there. One of the things I, I tell every one of my first steps classes that, that goes through the sequence with me is I say, look, uh, let's just be real honest with one another and let's just say this. It's easy to build a church where everybody agrees. It may be small, but the pastor's life is great because everybody agrees. If you don't agree, there's the door. It's easy to build a church that's predominantly conservative or it's easy to build a church that's predominantly liberal. But what's hard is to build a church where there is a broad range of people at all different stages stages of their individual uh, testimony, at all different stages of their own ministry and volunteering and working, all different stages of spiritual growth, and it's okay, and we prefer one another, and we are reconciled to one another. The natural effort of the flesh is to find others wanting, to look at them and be disappointed in their progress, disappointed in their uh, growth, disappointed in their self-discipline. We judge others by what it appears they are missing, and we judge ourselves by the intentions of our heart. Or even if we're a hot mess, we say, but I have a good heart. Okay, but something happens in a church when we take an attitude of servant one to another and an attitude of reconciliation one to another. As long as there is an attitude of competition one with another where rather than me inspiring you to good works, I feel like your good works are precluding my opportunity. Rather than me being excited for your smile, I see your smile as less smile, less opportunity for me. This is the death knell of religious organizations because to the outsider, it feels just like another cynical crab bucket. If the so-called religion doesn't have a different feel, like I really am trying to help, I'm trying to encourage, I'm trying to bless, then we're just another crab bucket. And you know how to keep a crab in a bucket? Put another crab in there with them. <clears throat> no one to get out of the bucket. They just pull each other down nonstop. You're getting another, get back down here. Get back down. But when people really live the testimony they claim, do you see? And that is primarily a heart issue where we refuse to see one another with a negative expectation. We refuse to be cynical. It's like David said, Lord, show me the good of thy chosen. Sometimes all we can see is the bad of one another. And we have to pray, God, show me the good in other people. Let me see the, the, the honesty in them. Let me see the blessing that's upon them. Do I have any agreement here in the house tonight? This is a moment where Jesus fixes the division. And he fixes it by getting everybody's goal back on the right thing. If you want to walk 
with him. If you want to be a part of this kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to learn how to have your focus on others. And so when Jesus says to these two ambitious young men, can you be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Can you drink of the cup that I am going to drink of? They naively say, yes, yes, yes. And they don't really know what they're talking about. And Jesus points this out to them. And I I want to say that I, like many of like many people, in my heart, I often am afraid that I volunteer for things. I don't know what I'm getting into. This would be a good chance for you to say amen. You guys should know I will throw you to the whoops. I will do it. You come up. I have an idea. I say, great, when we start. And, well, I didn't want to do it. Well, you're the one with the idea. Um, so, <laughs> um, you don't know what you're getting into. Uh, my experience in ministry is a nonstop uh, exercise in doing things I don't really know <laughs> what I'm getting into. And you kind of just figure it out as you go. And, you know, they say leadership is hiding that you're terrified. <laughs> uh, they don't know what they're agreeing to, but they want to be true and they want to be strong, and they want to be used, and so they agree in faith. That's not wrong. Because if the Lord only chose people who could always do what they said, there would not be a single patriarch in the Bible. There would not be a single prophet in the Bible. There would not be a single priest in the Bible, and there certainly would not be a single disciple in the Bible, because we all have gone astray. We all have grown uh, carnal. We all at times have lost our confidence. We all have, you know, talked a bigger game than we could play. We've all been big hat with no cattle. We've all done that. And so Jesus is in the business of putting the challenge before you, having you respond in faith. And when you aren't there yet, He doesn't end your audition. He meets you at your failure and invites you to try again. That is how churches are built. Right there. These disciples are going to talk tough, but as soon as the soldiers come, what are they going to do? They're going to go hide. When Jesus is crucified, the women are going to have more courage than the men. The women didn't see near as many miracles, but they have confidence to be there. Now, you can make an argument that maybe the, there was less risk for them to be there because even if they were identified, it was okay. And the disciple, you can make all of these arguments. But the point is this. They all talked tough, and they all went and hid. Okay. And Jesus bore the crushing of the wine press alone, as the prophet said, and of his comforters, there were none. And so I want to do something for you, God. I want to be, you know, somebody. I want to accomplish great things. Can you drink from the cup I am drinking from? Let me, let me really quickly uh, talk about what is, uh, I think, some of the gleanings from these images. The first thing is the cup is, of course, referring to uh, the cup of wine that will be partaken of together, at least obliquely, at least in a symbolic way. The Lord's Supper will soon be a part where they take the bread and they take the wine, and Jesus very explicitly says, uh, with this cup, you are becoming, you are drinking, as it were, the blood of this new covenant 
this new covering, this new sacrificial redemption that is available to, to you. Yes, there is that element there. And there's also the suffering that is coming upon Christ, the crushing of his body, the, 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 the crushing uh, of the grapes upon the, the wine press or the crushing of the olives upon the olive press. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is the place of crushing, that's literally the, the, the meaning of the of the word. It's a place of crushing because it's there that they take the, the, the olives uh, and they crush them there in that area. That's how the garden was given its name. In this place of crushing, Jesus is going to be crushed. And out of this crushing is going to come this sacrificial covering. And you see the, you see the images. You see the, the, the lesson here. Uh, Jesus says, can you drink this cup? Uh, there is, I'm all the time kicking stuff off the platform. Sorry about that. There is the challenge for all of us. And here is the challenge. Can we live a life of sacrificial purpose? You see, Jesus is not going to suffer for the sake of suffering. He is suffering for the sake of others, do you see? Calvary is not an exercise in simple suffering for suffering's sake. He endured the cross, the author of the book of Hebrews said, despising the shame. And why did he do it? Because there's something on the other side of the crushing that made it worth it. And so we, as participants of this kingdom of heaven, ask ourselves this question, can we live a life of sacrificial purpose where it's not about my needs primarily, but my needs are met through meeting others? Can you be broken as he was broken? Now, we're not called upon to die as he died. We're called upon to live because he died. Can our lives be about more than just our own interests and our own hobbies? Can we find a place that is a challenge to us? And it's not easy for us. I, I, I want that so much as a part of a, 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 our church culture, that, that sense of service. I think all of you who, who uh, practice on the, work, on, on the weekend, you, you worship one and you volunteer one. You work a service and you serve a service. I thank you for that. Uh, the, the ministry that happens next door is, is largely accomplished by people who uh, are here as, uh, you know, not as long as, I almost said as long as I am. They're not here quite as long as I am, but you get the idea. They're, they're here for two services. They worship one, they work one. That is fundamental to the kind of church that I believe gets it right, where we serve we not simply receive, but we can we live a life of sacrificial purpose? So if you want to talk about religious hierarchy, if you want to learn, talk about uh, who has status in uh, the church, Jesus isn't interested in about that. Jesus wants to know who can live a life of sacrificial purpose. That is what is in this cup that he's going to drink. Is it painful? It's very, it can be painful. It's not all painful. Uh, for us, we are not dying a physical death. We are 
invited to be a participant in this kingdom. And that's one of the most astonishing things about uh, the whole uh, Christian uh, ideal is that we are invited to be a part of God's work, uh, not simply to worship or not simply to be devout, but we are invited to be a part of this kingdom that is very much unique in the in Christianity. And it is available for every one of us here today. How can we drink of this cup of sacrificial purpose that he drunk from. You have to find something that is worth your time. It's worth your prayer. It's worth your money. It's worth your life. And then you have to drink that cup. That means you're going to give some time that you would have enjoyed being on the couch. Uh, and to be baptized with the baptism he's baptized with. The thing about baptism is it's, it is, if it's done in the biblical way, it is, it is of course, full immersion, and you just, you, you are immersed in the water. And so it is in the kingdom of God that we are, we, you, there, there's really no halfway uh, place in the kingdom of God, not if we're going to get it right. We are, we are assumed, we are submerged in this work. And so my, my challenge to myself, my challenge to all of us, when we read this passage and we see Jesus say, you know, look, okay, you're, you're talking about who's going to be first. It's, let's, I don't want to talk about that. This is what I want to talk about. <laughs> Can you live a life of sacrificial purpose? And can you allow this kingdom to just totally assume you, envelop you, embrace you, and cover you? Can you make your purpose something beyond your own place? And can you leave your place with God? It is in the nature of human nature to compete for status. But this kingdom asks you, can you trust God with your status? And can you say someday when I get to heaven, we'll figure out where status is. And the last will be first. <laughs> the first will be last. Can you simply embrace sacrificial purpose? This is what the church is supposed to feel like, guys. Can you embrace sacrificial purpose? And can you trust God to sort out the whole first, second, third? Can you die to that? Because that's the death that we are invited to die, which is the death of self-importance, the de death of self-promotion, the death of self-service. And instead, we take up our cross, which is others' promotion, <laughs> service to others, helping others. And as simple as that is, it remains one of the single hardest things about being a Jesus follower, no matter how many years you've been in the church. It's still there. Um, we are, all of us, invited to, to, to find a place of work, find a place of volunteering. Um, my advice would be, and I'm, I'm almost done, but my advice would be this. Stop trying to find the perfect thing and just find something. You will find more by serving than you'll ever find by figuring. <laughs> so, whatever your hand finds to do, it seems like someone wrote. Do it with all your might. Find something that's not about 
you. That's not about your promotion. It's not about your needs. And you will find that in this kingdom of heaven, it is an upside down kingdom. And the way to have is to give. So what do you need? You need to give it away. You need acceptance. Maybe because of the way you were raised, you, you desperately, some part of you needs acceptance. You need to find somebody in the church and you need to go show them acceptance. And you'll find by giving it away, you're made rich. Do you need encouragement? Find somebody in the church who needs encouragement. Find somebody at your place of employment needs encouragement. Find somebody in your family. Do you wish someone would notice that you've lost five pounds? I wish someone would notice I lost five pounds, but I'd have to lose five pounds. (laughs) Go notice what someone else has done. Whatever you need, give it away. And you will find that the windows of heaven are opened up in your life. And you will find that in this kingdom, you have by giving. And that becomes the whole essence of what it means to be Jesus followers, where indeed we have to leave the whole status thing with God. Who's important? Who's big time? Who's low time? You know, it's just, and we have to focus. Can I live a life of sacrificial purpose? Let's all stand. Amen. Well, praise the Lord, somebody. Let's praise the Lord right now. Lord Jesus, we magnify you today. We thank you for your goodness in our life. We praise you for this opportunity to be a part of your kingdom. We praise you for this opportunity to exalt your name when we come together and represent your name as we separate into our respective homes and neighborhoods and uh, career paths. Lord Jesus, I'm praying that as your people, we would have a very, very uh, keen uh, and resilient understanding of this principle of Christianity where we represent the kingdom of heaven, not as the celebration of ourselves or the promotion of ourselves. But Lord Jesus, as a way of serving others, as a way of supporting others, as a way of embracing others, as a way of loving others. We need your help in our life, oh God. We need your blessing in our life. We need your direction and we need your wisdom. And we know you will give wisdom to everyone who asks. And so we ask today in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you all. Thank you for spending a few minutes with us on Wednesday night. We love you very much. Have a great week. Greet one another in the name of the Lord. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, Come join us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road at the corner of Shamrock Drive. Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. And Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Online, find us at firstchurchclt.com or like us on Facebook or Twitter. We hope to see you soon. Come worship with us.